I'm going to read our passage of scripture now that we'll be looking at this morning. We're looking at two passages, actually, and then we'll study the word together. So our first passage, oh, well, it'll be our second passage, but if you turn to 1 Corinthians 15 first and kind of put your thumb there, um, if you're using one of the blue Bibles that's around you, it's page 962. So put your thumb in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at the end of that. And then flip on over to James chapter 4. So James 4, and the Blue Bibles, it's page 1012, 1013 actually, because I'm going to read verses 13 through 16 of James 4. So we'll start there and then flip back to 1 Corinthians. James 4, 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. All right, let's flip back to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read starting in verse 47 and read through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray again. Dear God, as we look into your word and what your word tells us about our future, our earthly future, our eternal future, and then just the, the immediate future of the choices we make from here going forward. I pray that you would um, show us how we should live with respect to our future. I show it, pray that you show us what we uh, can and cannot expect from uh, the future because we can't see it. You can. We don't control it. You do. And I pray that uh, all of us would be brought into uh, the, the glorious eternal future that you have for your people, and that we could live in such a way now that we are preparing for that eternity. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last week of 2020, the year of which we shall not speak, um, I preached a sermon on how the resources of Christianity equip us to relate to the past. And on the following week, the plan, the first week of 2021, I was scheduled to preach on how the resources of Christianity prepare us to look ahead to the future. Now, God gave me a living illustration of this sermon by having uh, first my son swallow a battery two days after that. Uh, he's fine. They were able to remove it endoscopically, so no you know, like incision surgery or anything. But uh, the hours that uh, he and my wife spent in the emergency room meant that a few days later, when she developed a little fever and felt run down, uh, I had to stay home and not come to church because we might have inflicted COVID on you guys a few days after that. So thankfully, we didn't have COVID, so everyone turned out fine. You know, by the end of the week, everyone was okay, and we knew everyone was okay by, like, Monday. But um, that was not the plan. That was not what we anticipated. That was not what the church anticipated for how the last week of 2020 and the first week of 2021 would go. Um, so as we'll see, that's very important because that's how the world works. Uh, but today, uh, I am finally delivering the message that I know you all have been eagerly anticipating. Edge of your seats, waiting week by week. When is it going to come? Now we get to find out how Christianity prepares us, orients us to the future. So 2020 gave us many terrible things. Uh, things. Things. Uh, my plans versus 2020, which is where you see what everything you're anticipating for your life at the beginning of 2020 versus, you know, how it all went. Um, and it would be things like, you know, on the one side, this Instagram worthy photo of a picnic spread with like a spiral ham and freshly baked bread and the family sort of spread around this gingham, you know, picnic blanket and matching denim and flannel. And then on the other side, the family are all hiding in the trees while the picnic is being ravaged by bears. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, and the memes are funny because 2020 was just filled with things we, we didn't see coming. We had no idea were on the horizon. And behind the joking, like we talked about when I preached at the end of December, there are a lot of really heavy, unexpected, painful things that happened that showed us how much our lives can be changed radically by forces completely outside of our control. We don't see coming, can't do anything to change. And that's um, something that most of us in the West, we're so used to kind of basic economic, technological health and food security that at a cultural level, we sort of have this air of invincibility. And 2020, everything that happened kind of rattled that. And so we see uh, people, it's, it's been all the way, it's, you know, we're the aberration, our culture, but it's for years in human history, they've kind of lived with the uncertainty of the future. We've kind of been able to forget that for a while. And so we see people kind of having to face that again. Our plans can be much more fragile than we think. Our future, much less certain than we're used to thinking. But the thing is, like I said, that's kind of been the norm for human history. And in fact, the unpredictability of the earthly future isn't news to Christianity. Um, so this Sunday, we're looking at how the truths of Christianity equip us to face the future. And we're going to look at three futures, so to speak. We're going to look at our earthly future. We're going to look at the eternal future. And we're going to look at the immediate future, which is like what we do right after this kind of thing, our life in the present. So let's jump in on our earthly future with our first text, which is James four thirteen through 16. So I'm going to read the whole passage again. James writes, Come now. You who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit? Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So this passage captures what Christianity has to say about our earthly future. And in just a very brief summary, our earthly future is uncertain. That's the summary truth about it. So the author here is writing against a type of attitude that might have been held by wealthy merchants in their day. So it's people who had the means to buy a bunch of goods, to put themselves up in a whole other city for a year, like it says, and deal their way into profit. The vast, vast majority of people in this day were kind of scraping by. Uh, Either they lived tethered to their house, working a minor trade like carpentry, or just living hand to mouth through day labor, day labor. So economic and food insecurity were the norm uh, for the vast majority of people in this time. And so for someone to have this amount of money, it would be a very financially privileged position. So James isn't saying that these people are inherently wrong or inherently evil, but he's warning them about presuming that they can predict and control the future. So not just that they can, but that they will do whatever they want with their future. They say, we'll go where we want. We're going to go to such and such a town. We're going to do what we want. We're going to deal and make a profit. And we're going to receive, get the outcome that we want. So James says in verse 16, to talk this way and to think this way is arrogant boasting. Um, He's not condemning making plans. We're going to talk about that uh, in general. But he's saying to presume that you will control the future is the problem. And James says it's a problem for two reasons. And he says he lays these out in verse 14. So he writes first in verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, He says, first, you don't actually know the future. You're forecasting a year or more of your life, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, your life is uncertain. You just simply don't know. Um, My wife and I were watching this uh, baking competition called Sugar Rush a few weeks ago. It's on Netflix. It's lighthearted. It's fun. Um, And they usually have like a random celebrity on their panel of judges you know, like some random B-listers who don't know any more about baking than I do. They're just like, this tastes great. You know, so that's what I would, you know, offer a baking competition. Um, randomly, though, Chris Bosch, the NBA star, was one of the judges. And he has like a surprisingly deep knowledge of baked goods. So he really was giving like thoughtful feedback. Um, that's not relevant to the sermon. But, uh, but one episode featured this actress I'd never heard of. Um, but she was by all means, she was fairly young. She was perfectly healthy. You know, she had a young child. But at the end of the episode, this card comes up and says, in loving memory of this actress. So we looked it up. In between the filming of this show, whenever that was, and the release, she drowned while swimming uh, from what they think was some kind of like reaction to a medication she was on. And so she went in this relatively short span of time from, you know, kind of eating, you know, eating cupcakes on the set of a Netflix show to gone. She. You had no idea. No one had any idea that was coming. And so that's the kind of thing that James is saying in verse 14. And he says, too, he goes on to say that our futures aren't just uncertain, but they're fragile like that, because we are fragile. He says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's gone. And so our lives, he says, are like the little wisps of fog that kind of rest over the ground when we leave the house for an early morning commute. And then by the time we get to work, they're gone. He says, that's the fragility of human life. They can end that easily. So our earthly futures 
are uncertain and they're fragile. The coronavirus, everything that happened in 2020, the shutdowns, the racial and political tensions have kind of confronted us culturally with the fact that we are not God. We don't know the future. We don't control the future. While it's not bad to make plans, it can be good to make plans. And you see all through scripture, people making plans for various things. That's not kind of a blanket condemnation. We have to do that and live with the knowledge that we are dependent on God. We are not God. That, uh, you know, what James recommends in verse 15, he says, you know, talk instead. You know, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. That's not a mantra that we have to mumble when we're talking about, like, where we're going to go eat lunch. You know, but it's, it's an attitude that says, I am radically dependent for my very ongoing existence on a God who is eternal because I am not. And so our future is in God's hands, not ours. So Christianity teaches that the uncertainty of our earthly future should humble us. That's why we pray, if the Lord wills. It reminds us that there is a God who sees all things and knows all things and is sovereign over all things, which means that he declares the end of things from the beginning. But that's not us. We aren't that God. We are fragile and small, dependent for our very lives. And that's a truth that's just worth sitting with, that there's a God who knows and controls all the things that I don't, all the things I get tangled up in hope I mean, aspiration or anxiety about how my career is going to go, how my kids' lives are going to turn out, how long I have to live. Those things are known, but they're not known by me. And if our earthly future were the only future we had, if all we had was this fragile, uncertain life, then humility would still be an appropriate response, but we wouldn't have anything else, any hope beyond anything else. And choices like uh, the choices of the Indian pastors we prayed for to go against the cultural current of your country to convert to a religion that's not shared by many of your people and then to attempt to see others converted to that same religion and risk prison or risk worse uh, for that, that would be foolishness. That's the height of madness to throw your life away if that's all you've got. But Christianity teaches that we don't just have an earthly future. We have an eternal future as well. And that future can be certain. We're going to talk about that. Our eternal future can be certain. So let's turn to our first Corinthians passage. So this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, and we're coming in at the end of chapter 15 of the letter, which begins with this extended reflection on the fact that Jesus was resurrected. That after he died, after he was crucified and buried, he wasn't just resuscitated or kind of lurched out of the grave, you know, bruised and broken, but somehow he made it, you know, like Rocky uh, at the end of a movie. But um, he was recreated in a physical body that was also a new creation. that was immune to the influence, to the power of death and suffering and sin. That he's a new kind of thing on the back end of uh, the resurrection. So Paul's starting to talk here about what that means for us. And so our passage here begins with a similar theme to the James passage. If you look at verses 47 through 49, so let's read those together. Paul writes, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. 
And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Paul here is contrasting two men, the man of dust or Adam, the first man, and the man of heaven, who's Jesus. We bear the image of the man of dust and we are like him. So we're mortal, we're fragile, we're limited. And what's worse, we're also sinful, just as he was. This is all human beings. And some of the limitations we have were part of God's original creation. You know, we were never created knowing the future or in control of everything. But a lot of the uncertainties of our earthly future, of disease and death and natural catastrophes, they weren't part of the original creation. They weren't part of the original design. They were part of the curse that was laid over creation as a response to sin, to Adam and Eve's disobedience. And so to deal with that curse, there's a man of heaven, a man who comes from the kingdom of God, which runs on eternal time instead of earth time. He was both God and human, So he was already of a different nature than we are in one sense. But after his resurrection, even his human nature is something altogether different. It's no longer mortal. It's no longer fragile. It's no longer subject to disease, sin, temptation, any of those things. It's a new creation. And Paul says in verse 49 that the people who belong to him shall bear that image as well. We shall become like him in that. So he goes on to explain this in verses 50 through 53. Let's read those. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So flesh and blood, that's mortal human nature, dust nature, like we are, by itself can't inherit the eternal future, just like that wisp of fog can't remain in the light of the sun. It's just not constitutionally able to do it. But Paul says there's going to come a moment in time where the normal stream of human history, the timeline we're on, is called like the end of a basketball game. And when that happens, whatever activity is going on on the court is over. Uh, A trumpet, which Paul mentions here, was used to call the people of Israel to assemblies and to mark holidays, like the end of one year and the beginning of another. So it was a kind of a public call that something significant was happening. Uh, It's also associated at times when God appears in a special way, like when he comes down to Mount Sinai to give Israel the law for the first time. So there's going to come a moment where God calls the game, where earthly time stops and eternal time begins. And when that happens, Paul says in verse 52, the dead will be raised imperishable and the living will be changed to become imperishable. To be able to withstand the glory of eternity, he says, to survive in the sun, we wisps of fog, we wisps of mist are going to be transformed. We're going to put on the imperishable. We're going to be transformed into immortality. Our nature is going to be changed as well. And when that happens, Paul writes, starting at verse 54, and I'll read down through 57. He writes, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, 
Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when this happens, when God calls the game on earthly time, death and sin, which poison this earthly creation and help make our earthly future even more uncertain and more painful than it would, uh, would have been originally, will be swallowed up in victory. That God will recreate the world without those things. He's going to make a new heavens and a new physical earth. It's not like we'll be caught up into the clouds and turned into cherubs and given harps. You know, I don't know where that picture came from, but it's not the eternal future. The eternal future is a recreated earth with the presence of God in the middle of it so that we see his face and we know face to face the God that we were made to worship. And when that happens, Paul quotes Isaiah and Hosea here to trash talk death, essentially to say, death, is that all you got? He says, where's your power? Where's your victory? It's dead in the grave with Jesus. He went down under it in a three count, but he rose back up and it is gone. Its power is broken. And we're going to see the breaking of that power one day. We're going to see the final victory one day in that eternal future. So that's the time horizon that we have to look forward to as God's people. Everyone who's trusted in Christ on this side of eternity, in this earthly time, is guaranteed that. Not because of our own effort or our own strength or our own goodness, but because of our faith in Jesus. Amen. Yes. Now, I worded this point about our eternal future as it can be certain. That was deliberate because there are, in fact, two certain eternal futures for all people. And enjoying a new creation, this eternal relationship with God, is one of them. And it is guaranteed by Jesus himself. He says in John 6, verse 40, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So to look on Jesus and believe in him means to believe that he is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and to let that belief rewrite our lives so that he becomes the lead character of our stories rather than us. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. But the alternative to that is to remain the lead character of our story. So to trust in my own ideas, my own plans, my way, instead of Jesus's. We can do that. But the end of that road, the certain eternal future there, is separation from God for eternity. That we have either will face him and receive from him the love, the welcome of a son coming home, or we will come to him and we will be told, depart from me. I don't know who you are. And we're, we're not going to look at this, this eternal future in detail, but the separation from God from eternity and hell is not an eternal future that I would wish on anyone. I pray this is not how the story of anyone here, the story of anyone on earth, I would hope that's not how that ends. So finally, we're going to look at our immediate future. So what we do next with the opportunities that come our way in the present. 
So if you're here and you're, you're not sure about your eternal future, if you're feeling at all uncomfortable about that or have questions about that, that's the thing that I would want you to focus on. And I would love to talk with you. Any of the leaders at the church would love to talk with you more about that because that's the, that's the primary question that you should be asking and thinking about. Paul closes our first Corinthians passage with, with this, verse 58. He prays, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. To help unpack that, uh, I'm going to read a passage from a book by C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so this, uh, this book, the book we're going to look at, is called The Screwtape Letters. So in this, Lewis imagines uh, this older demon writing to a younger demon about how to like, manage his patient. So it uses this sort of dry, administrative, almost like memo-like style um, you know, toward the future that they want for him. And so the, the enemy, which I'm going to read in the first line, is God. We have to kind of flip the understanding here. Um, so uh, he writes, The enemy would have humans continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. So again, this is a demon writing, and he says that God would have us focusing on either eternity, so our eternal relationship with him or lack thereof, or in the present, which we could call the immediate future, what I'm going to do right now with the next situation that I am confronted with. So this isn't what the demon wants. This is not what he wants. So he goes on. He says, it is far better to make them live in the future. He means that the earthly future. Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already. So our need for you know, food and clothing and shelter. So that the thought, thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it's unknown to them, so that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. So the earthly future, he says, is unknown to us. It's uncertain. It's literally unreal as far as we are concerned. And if it becomes our real hope, if all I ever think about is my retirement or how my kids are going to do or my health or anything else in this uncertain earthly future, then um, we won't be what Paul says, steadfast and immovable, which means being faithful to God and trusting in him no matter what. We're going to be anxious. We're going to be uh, stressed. We're going to be frustrated. And we're going to be living our lives not in um, you know, trusting God, abounding in his work, uh, we're not going to be, uh, kind of as Lewis summarizes, obeying the present voice of conscience. So the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now um, to repent of sin and cultivate righteousness. We're not going to be bearing the present cross, which means taking the present act of service that we're faced with next. Receiving the present grace or giving thanks for the present pleasure. We're not going to enjoy what God is putting in front of us. We're going to throw those all away. So what God wants for your immediate future is two things. He wants you to maintain a steadfast commitment to him 
and to that eternal future. That's what it means to be steadfast and immovable. And he wants that first because it leads us to worship him, and two, because it gives us real hope, the certain hope that the earthly future doesn't afford. And then two, God wants you to live your immediate future out of that relationship with him. So Paul says, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So God wants you listening for his guidance through being in his word, being in prayer, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. He wants you giving thanks for his gifts, worshiping him right now for what you have and not worrying about what you may or may not have in the future. And he wants you to be loving others, the people that he sends your way in the moment, following the script that he's written for you, the pattern that he set through the example of Christ. So sometimes, like in the case of uh, these Indian pastors, that's going to look like throwing away an earthly future. But it's living with our eyes on a future that is much more real, much more certain, and much more wonderful than anything we could hope to experience here. So we're going to close by praying over the uh, prayers in this prayer jar. Um, So uh, like... um, Paul, our Paul, Pastor Paul said, um, we don't read these. Um, You have put these prayers in this jar and we are going to offer them up together as God's people before him. Um, There's a kind of a vision, this poetic image in the book of Revelation of the prayers of the saints being like incense kind of offered before God. And so we're going to offer these together and the staff are going to pray over these and then send these back to you uh, kind of at the end of the year just to see what God has done in your life, we hope, kind of in relationship with or in light of these prayers. Um, but like we, we know, the future is uncertain. We don't know what God has in mind for us, and so we offer these kind of as acts of faith, uh, things that we hope that God will bring about um, in the future. Um, We pray also that whatever comes, we would be able to trust in his eternal future and live toward that. So let me pray over these, and then we'll sing one more song. We'll be finished. Dear God, we are earthly beings. We are fragile. We are uncertain. And we are also weak and sinful. We don't know the future. We don't control the future. You do. And so we offer you these prayers, these things we hope to see you do in our lives or maybe in the lives of others. Um, And we pray those things in light of your character because we know who you are. We know that you are a good and holy God. And we know uh, kind of in general what you want for us. And so we pray, we hope in line with those things. But we know uh, more foundationally that whatever comes, whether we uh, receive the things that we ask for here or not, that we have an inheritance that is eternal and undefiled and unfading that is kept in heaven, that is the new creation and our relationship with you in that. And so I do pray here today that um, all of us would see that eternal future and live more on that horizon um, than on the earthly future. And I pray that we would live uh, our day-to-day lives, our immediate future, the things that come our way in a way that um, shows that you are writing the script for us, that you are in charge of our lives. And pray that we would know you in and through that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.